Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, so good to be with you today. And before we get rolling in the message, I wanna take a moment and just give you guys a little bit of an update, celebrate with you in regards to our FAM ministry. Some of you guys know what this is. Our FAM is our foster and adoption ministry. And God has been all over this ministry. It's been exploding over the past few years. And here's what we do. In this ministry, we exist to meet the needs to serve vulnerable children. And we've been able to do that. And one of the ways we do that is through our resource center. And here's what that is. We provide items, whether that's to DCS or that's to families that are trying to keep their families together. We give them items at, at no expense. That, that's one of the ways that we serve them. And we've seen this ministry just grow and grow. For example, our first year with the Resource Center, we gave out 500 items, 500 items. Uh, 900 items, I think. I may, have, I may have fibbed on that. 900 items. Either way, this past year, 5,500 items we were able to give. And to me, this really speaks to uh, the way our lead pastor, Pastor Aaron, says, like, we want to be a blessing to this city, not just for the people that attend our church, but for all people in our city, in our state. This is one of the ways that we do that. And through all of this growth, I mean, that only happens because of your generosity uh, rallying around it. And it's uh, brought us into a, a new problem that we had. One, there wasn't enough space. So this past week, we were able to move to a new spot here at the Northwest Campus, doubled our square footage so that we can serve more families in the year to come. And this is, yeah, this is what I wanna put on you though right now. This is the kind of church we wanna be. We got double the space, which means we have room for more items to serve more families. You can go to this link behind me, find our Amazon wish list. Let's pack this new resource center out. You guys with us on that? Come on. Love it. Uh, well, today we're continuing in our series, A Rebel's Guide to Joy, where we've been kind of working through, studying through this small book, uh, Philippians. And the author of it, his, his name's Paul, and really what's kind of mesmerized us, what we focus on every single time, is this guy's joy. Over and over and over again, in this short letter, he talks about the joy that he has. Now here's the thing, he's in prison. He's in the worst circumstances possible. He's facing possible execution, and yet he's joyful. And what we said is there's something there. There's a guide for us to find joy. Because for a lot of us, joy seems to elude us even under the best of circumstances. And maybe you've felt this, but I feel like I meet with a lot of people and, and they're joyless. Not depressed, but just kind of meh. You know, it's just everything's a little foggy, and I get it. It's been a wild few years. It expedited a lot of things. But I'll also say that there's been beauty in it as well because there's been people over the past, you know, season who have come to church for the very first time, who have given their life to Jesus. And what were they in search of? They were in search of joy. Happiness, but they got joy, right? That's how I got here. That's how so many of us got here, in, in this search, in this longing, in this ache. It's what uh, Tolkien refers to as joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. 
And what we've been doing in this series is to say, hey, the framework that the world is providing, the framework that the world is saying will bring us joy, it's failing. So what we're doing is going beyond the walls of the world to this joy that can only be found in Jesus. And that's what we've been doing week in and week out. And if you were here last week, Paul had this incredible line where he said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is a powerful line. And we talked all about that tension last week of, of what it looks like. And then this week, he's really just gonna double click on that word of what does it mean to live? Because he said, I'm torn between these two desires that I could die and go be with Christ, but he said, it's better for you that I stay, so I'm gonna continue to live. And this week, we're gonna see what does it mean to live in light of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Philippians chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 27 today. He says, above all, the most important thing, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And I just wanna pause right there. He said, above all else, I want you to live as citizens of heaven. Now, it's important to note that citizenship was a really big deal for people back then, especially for the Philippians, because they were Roman citizens. This was the best citizenship that you could have in the known world. It brought with it all kinds of privileges and rights. Like, that was a part of their identity. That's who they were. And Paul reminds them, he says, I know what you have, and that's good that you have it. But above that, I need you to know that you are citizens of heaven now. Because of the gospel of Jesus, you now have this new citizenship that you are going to live into. Just as your Roman citizenship brought these things, so your heavenly citizenship will bring these things. And here's what he's really pushing on. It has to be more than words. Don't, don't just confess Jesus, but then really just live as every other Roman citizen. It's, it's more than words, what you're pledging. And when I was reading this, it made me think about um, when my daughter was, my oldest was, was young, she was maybe two or three years old, and uh, you know, you just get in long car rides and kids get fussy and cranky, and you just start trying stuff. You're like, I, I need to do something, I don't know what to do, and like, I'm already writing an apology letter to her when she get older, because we tried some stuff, you know what I mean? Some stuff worked, some didn't. But one day, she's in the back, she's whining, she's crying, and I just get this idea out of nowhere of like, I'm gonna teach her the Pledge of Allegiance. She's like two years old, but she buys in on it, and we continue to do this on long car rides. One, because it keeps her busy. Two, it is hilarious to hear her try to pronounce the words in the Pledge of Allegiance. Take a look at this video. To the flock, let's make out America, and to the pocket, which it stands, one nation under God, and the restful, liberty and justice for all. It's amazing. Um, but I, maybe your life was like mine. The school that you went to, every day you showed up from kindergarten to 12th grade and you stood at the beginning of the day and you placed your hand over your heart and you said the Pledge of Allegiance. You memorized it. You can't get it out of your head right now. It's one of the only things that stuck in there, right? 
I memorized it, but it's not like the pledge really shaped how I lived. You know what I mean? It's like I never remember once being in high school and about to cheat on a test and someone was like, whoa, 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 bro, remember the pledge. <laughs> like I was about to get into a fight and they were like, no, 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 no. Do not handle yourself. Bro, do you not remember the pledge? No, it was just something that I said that I really didn't think much about. And I'll tell you what convicted me this week, and I'm gonna share that conviction with you, is that at times my faith can feel like that. That I come in here on a Sunday and I stand and I place my hand over my heart and my hand in the air and I pledge all of these things to Jesus, but my life doesn't reflect the things that I'm saying are most important. And here's what Paul's getting to. He says, hey, I want you to pledge allegiance, but I want you to pledge allegiance to King Jesus. I want your heavenly citizenship to be the most important thing, and it's more than just words, but because of the citizenship that you have, because of the pledge that you've taken, the kingdom you've entered into, it should totally, totally and radically shape every single day, every single interaction that you have. It should be shaped by, I've pledged allegiance to King Jesus. Now, because that's true, what is this situation asking of me? And then that's what he speaks on on this next part. He says, because you're citizens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy. And that word worthy, um, the, the picture that you get from this word is really uh, scales, right? Uh, you've seen this where you place something on one side and you're hoping that the other side evens out. And we, we kind of interact with stuff like this all the time. Like, for example, you go to work and you work and maybe every week or every two weeks you get payment. And what your job is saying is that because of your title, because of your work on this side, it is worthy of this payment. And some of you are like, I think the scales at my job are broken, right? Like, <laughs> it's not even and out. Here's another thing, like when we give someone an award, we would say that, hey, here's the award on this side, and then you look at this person's life or their character, and you're saying, is it fitting that they would receive this award, and if so, they get it. You know, for us, um, we have something here with our staff called the Sherry L. Award. And um, some of you know Sherry L., and she is just a true woman of God. Her and, her and the whole L family came to Traders Point a long time ago before diversity was really a thing, and her and her family really trailblazed the way. They started serving like crazy. She even stepped away from her very successful career in the marketplace and came into full-time ministry where she served faithfully for 20 years in missions, in care, and benevolence. And so now, um, she recently just retired after 20 years of faithful service. And we awarded her the Sherry L. Award. And now every year, someone gets nominated for this award. And what we do is that we look at Sherry's life, her legacy, all the things that she was known for, all of these characteristics, and then we look at someone on our team and say, is it fitting? Is this person passionate? Is this person prayerful and caring and loyal and, and culturally intelligent? And then they, they receive that award. 
And what I want us to do right now before we move forward, can we just take a moment to celebrate and to honor Miss Sherry? Some of you guys know her, others of you don't. But all of us have been impacted by her life and ministry here. And what Paul is gonna do now is, is the same thing that we just looked at with the Sherry L Award. He, he's gonna say, because on this side the gospel is true, because the good news of Jesus is true, there should be something on this other side that is fitting. Just like all those things were true about Sherry, we're looking to see him in somebody else. He says, because the gospel is true, when someone looks at your life, they should be able to see some things. It should be evident to them that you have been met with the unconditional love of God. That when they look at your life in light of the gospel, it can only make sense because of the grace of God. The way that you forgive and the way that you serve others, it only makes sense because what's on the other side of that scale. And that's what he's gonna give us in these next few verses is he's just gonna say, here's some characteristics. Here's what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Here's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. So take a look at this, continuing in verse 27. He says, then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. This is important because a lot of time the belief in this culture was if something bad happened to you, if you were facing opposition, it meant that you had done something wrong. But Paul's reminding him here that just because you're experiencing something, he's taking him back to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those that are persecuted. Because he says, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So what I want us to do now is really just to look at those, those few verses and to pull out a few things. To say, if we're gonna live a life worthy of the gospel, what's gonna show up on this side? And I think the first thing that we would see is that, that we should be unifying, right? We should be standing together. We should be brave. We should be brave. And then here's the third one, the whammy. We should be able to suffer well, because of the good news of Jesus, all of these things should be evident. They should be showing up in our lives. So let's just go through each one of these one by one and just kind of say, what does this look like for me and you this week? What is this call on our life? And the first one is that we're called to be unifying. So let's take a look at the scripture again. He says, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are, say it with me, standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. He says, I want you to be standing together, one spirit, one mind, one heart, in this thing together. Now this is Paul's call to us here, but it's really just a continuation of Jesus' prayer for me and you. Do you remember this? 
God prayed for me and you. And look at what he prayed for in John 17. He says, may they experience, me and you, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Think about that. As Jesus was going, he's praying to God, and he says, hey, I want them to have such unity, such unity that it will cause the world to stop and to stare. It'll be such a strong unity like the world has never seen before that the only explanation they'll have for it is they must have been touched by God. There must be some good news behind them. There must be something bigger that is pulling them all together like this. And then now I want you to think about today. And think about the, the message you hear of why people don't wanna come to church, why people don't give Jesus even a chance. It's because of disunity. It's because of divisiveness. It's what I would call the Christian civil war. And I want you to think about this for a second. If God refers to what he's doing here as a kingdom, as a place, would you ever move to a country that was experiencing in the midst of a civil war? No. So, so that's what this call is here for me and you. Because the gospel is true, we should be united as one. And I saw this phrase this week as I was studying, it really stuck with me. It's this call for spiritual solidarity. That me and you, all of us in the church, all of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we've also now gathered together as a body, as brothers and sisters. We should have spiritual solidarity. This was from the beginning. If you remember Pentecost, this is the day that the Spirit of God fell amongst the people. And all of these people have traveled from all these different countries, all this different citizenship among them, but they get this one thing, the Spirit of God, that allows them to hear the gospel, and it unifies them as one, and then they go from there, and it begins to bring the church into the world. And I love that picture that, that, that he gives us of we should be standing together, shoulder to shoulder. Do you know why that's so important? Do you know how hard it is to fight someone that you're standing shoulder to shoulder with? Picture, like how, what you, it doesn't work. And this is the, the call that Paul gives me. I want you guys to stand shoulder to shoulder. Some believe that he was actually making reference to this Roman military formation where the strength of the soldiers, they would be standing together shield to shield. And their strength just wasn't in how amazing they were, but their strength was in this line, this, this moment, this, this crew of solidarity that would move forward. That's the picture that we should have of the church, this beautiful picture of unity. That will be, if divisiveness will push them away, Unity is what's gonna pull this watching world closer in so that they can come to know Jesus. There's this beautiful show of unity that's happening right now. Maybe you guys have heard about what's going on at Asbury College, this revival that's breaking out. Just continuous worship is what it is. And what's amazing about it, we've had some pastors that have made the trip just to be there, just to see it, to see what God's doing. And they've said it's beautiful. It's just worshipful, and here's the thing. It's brought together people from all kinds of different religious groups, all kinds of ethnicities, everyone coming together in this shared space, shoulder to shoulder, and they walk away uplifted. 
And as the world is seeing this, it's bringing more and more people to it. And more people are being baptized. More people are giving their life to Jesus. We see this power of unity in worship. So I just wanna ask you today, is there, is there anyone that you don't have unity with, specifically within the church? It could be personally, a personal relationship that you have with someone where it's lacking unity. It could be something big, as like you, you don't have unity with people that maybe believe something different theologically. This could be as big and, and as dark as something as racism. I, I just wanna challenge you that in light of the gospel, the call is that we would all be united even though there's a million things that could separate us and divide us, there's this citizenship in heaven. There's this spiritual solidarity that brings us all together. It's, it's a call to be unifying. The second one, the second one, he says, I, I want you to be unifying. The second one is be brave. He says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Don't be intimidated by any of your enemies. Now, I love the NLT is pretty much the only one that translates this phrase as don't be intimidated. Um, most translations say uh, don't be afraid, uh, don't be terrified. And the word picture that you have behind this phrase is of a, a horse that's kind of jumpy, that that's, gets spooked and begins to do all kinds of crazy things. Now, you can probably look at me and tell I, I don't fool much with horses, right? Um, for many reasons, one, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not a veterinarian. I don't know how much they weigh, 10,000 pounds. I don't know, they're giant animals. <laughs> but if you've ever seen one of them just trotting along and then they could see something as small as like a rabbit or a dog or a mouse, they get spooked, they begin to buck and run and jump, throw who's ever on the back of them off. Paul's saying, no, no, that won't be you. That even though, just like a horse, maybe their default response to things that terrify them is to run, it's to jump, it's to move away. Just as a, a, a horse can be trained to be a war horse and to go in the midst of it, he's saying, I'm, I'm placing that same calling on you. Don't be intimidated by anything that comes your way. And here's the thing that's too about bravery. I feel like a lot of times we talk about bravery and then we want like this big moment, this moment to stand in bravery and say, when that moment comes, I'm gonna be brave for it. In that moment, I will be brave. And we wait for that like newsworthy, giant moment that we're waiting for and waiting for. Like that Rosa Parks moment where it's then that situation comes, I'm gonna be strong, I'm gonna be brave. Now, bravery does cover those moments, but bravery is so much bigger and so much smaller at the same time and touches much more than I think we would like to admit. I love the way Dr. Maya Angelou talks about bravery. She says, without courage, we cannot practice any other virtue with consistency. We can't be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest. I want you to think about that. If there's this call to unity, this call to be united, then we are going to need to be brave to tell the truth. We're gonna need to be brave so that we can step into tough conversations. We're gonna need to be brave so that we can bring peace to situations. And we will never be generous without bravery. All the things, all the virtues that we look to behind them, foundational to them, 
is bravery. So I just wanna ask you today, if you're taking notes, what are you intimidated by? What are you intimidated by in this season? That you, you think about it often, and it could be a person, it could be the type of situation you're in, it, it could be finances, it, it could be just the skeptical nature of your workplace or your school, it could be the cynicism. There's something that is intimidating you from truly living as a citizen of heaven. What is that thing? You got it? What do you do with it? What do you do with it? And that's why I love, the. Uh, if you study through the scriptures, there's this book in the Bible called Acts. And it's the Acts of the Apostles, or really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's as the church is getting off the ground. And what you see through these pages are the most brave individuals, the most brave men and women. Over and over again, they do things that are just like, I don't even, I wish, I want to be like that. How? I mean, they would be standing there, bloody, beaten, eyes swollen, lip busted, and the people would be like, you are never going to say the name of Jesus again or you will die. And they would be like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And they would stand in front of the most important, the biggest, the most powerful, and they would say, we can't. We can't stop speaking the name of Jesus. That's on one side. But what I saw on the other side as I was reading too was this wild thing that they were constantly in prayer and they were praying for something. Specifically, they kept praying for boldness. They kept praying for courage. And I t when I first read it, I was like, I feel like them praying for boldness is like Shaq praying for height. Like, I think you got enough of it. Save some for the, for the rest of us, you know? But what I was learning was that they were brave, but they were only brave because of the spirit of God that was in them. They were only brave because of the perspective that they had, and they knew that they were being carried through this with a bigger purpose and a bigger perspective. They knew what their citizenship held. So over and over again, they were brave. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking about my prayer life this week, and a lot of times the things that come into my life that I get intimidated by, that I get frightened by, I pray for them, but a lot of times my prayer is God remove the thing that's frightening me. Remove the thing that I'm afraid of. And what was challenging me this week was like, what, who's influencing that prayer? Which one of my citizenships? Because uh, to be removed from pain, to be removed from trials, to be brought in on pleasure, that's, that sounds like a prayer that's influenced by my citizenship in America. But what would my citizenship in heaven look like? What, what kind of prayers would, would that bring forth? It reminds me of what James says when he's talking about our prayers and why we don't get what we want. He says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it, one. But then two, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And I thought about that for a good long time. Is that what I'm after? Pleasure? And I think as much as we want a God of pleasure, we seem to have a God of holiness. 
And he wants us to have joy, but it doesn't mean that it's gonna be in the absence of needing bravery. It's not gonna be in the absence of hard things. And it really brought me back to this message of scripture that's seen over and over again. God's people cry out to him, but what he does over and over again is not remove them from the situation. He has this very specific phrase that he gives his people that becomes like an anthem, that every time they would face opposition, they would, this would be the banner over it all. What was it? It was be strong and, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, why? For the Lord your God is with you. That's this call that we're gonna be brave because of what our citizenship comes with. And it comes with the fact that we don't go anywhere without our king. So we will stand and we will be brave, which we're gonna need because of that third point. He says to live a life worthy of the gospel on this side, we're gonna be unified, we're gonna be brave, and we're gonna suffer well. Look at what he says. He says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Some of you have been with me this whole time. You were like, man, this is a great unifying, united, in. Brave, would love to be more brave, count it. And you get to this one, you're like, suffering is a gift? I'm gonna need a gift receipt for this one, right? Like, I'm gonna be taking this one back. I'll, no, 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 I'm good, I'll keep the unity, I'll keep the bravery, you keep the suffering. I want you to think about how much of our lives is kinda of set up around that idea to avoid suffering. A lot of the books, resources, ways to go within the walls of the world is to how to avoid suffering. But here's the thing that Christianity's very honest about is this, that suffering is coming. And it's not a call to run from it, it's a call to be brave and to withstand it, to be strong and courageous. Suffering's coming, there's no way to avoid it. I mean, we can be wise, we can do everything that we can to not trip over ourselves, but even a great and perfect life does not mean we'll have a life without suffering. Exhibit A, Jesus lived a perfect life, faced the most suffering ever. But here's the thing, here's the perspective shift that we have as citizens of heaven. It's that every bit of pain that we experience, all the suffering that we go through, it's not in vain, that it's with a purpose. One of the best illustrations I feel like that the Bible gives for why we go through suffering and what it can do and the perspective we can have is the birth of a baby, right? Think about that. Birth of a baby, it is excruciating. There is so much pain for very long periods of time. Labor going 12, 24, 36, 48 hours, going through all of that suffering. But at the end, you get this, this beautiful baby, and it's like, oh, it was worth it. I mean, think about this, all the suffering that goes through the process of having a baby. The husbands trying to sleep on these tiny couches, There's never a good time to bring it up, so I thought now would be, because you can't say it when she's, you know, giving birth, be like, uh. But guys, do better with the couches. Um, who are these made for? 
But here's what I think Paul's trying to raise our perspective to. That just like whenever you're going through a situation like the birth of a baby, it's easy to see that all oh, the, the suffering is, is, is worth it. It gave birth to something beautiful. He says, even, even when the gift of suffering is not obvious to us, we can trust that God is using this pain in our lives to give birth to something good and beautiful. So much of our lives is spent thinking that when we experience pain, that when we experience suffering, that nothing good could possibly come from it. But I think it takes a lot of pride to be able to say something like that. To be able to say that just because we can't see it in the moment, that God can't do something with it. I'm not saying what happened was good nor beautiful. But what God is saying is that because of who he is, that he can actually use even the worst suffering that we will ever experience to birth something good and beautiful if we will allow it. That we could even be in the midst of suffering and we can have joy, not when it's over, in the midst of it. That's what the first followers of Jesus had. Look at this in Acts chapter five. It says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Think about that. They've just been beaten. They've just been humiliated. They, they, they tried to strip everything from them. And they walked away with a limp, but they had joy. And they counted themselves, what was the word, worthy to suffer for the gospel. So what I wanna put before you, and this is just a question I want you to wrestle with, not only for the remainder of our time here, but this week, in your prayer life, in your group time, who do you become when opposition comes? Who do you become when opposition comes? Which part of your citizenship gets highlighted? When that comes, do you look more like a citizen of heaven or a citizen of this world? When opposition comes, do you become a little divisive or are you unifying even in the midst of it? When opposition comes, do you, do you stand and are you brave? Or are you terrified and run away? When suffering comes, do you have the right perspective? Do you suffer well? Who do you become when opposition comes? And I wanna give you the reason that you can go through all three of these things and to live a life worthy of the gospel. It is because and only because of Jesus Christ. He has modeled it, he has empowered it. And I want you to think about this, a life worthy of the gospel. Now look at the life of Jesus. Was it not the most unifying life? He came and he brought all people together. The, the people that people were afraid to touch or speak to, he brought them into the fold. He died for not just a group of people, but for the whole world. His life was one act of bravery after another. He stood up against political leaders and religious leaders, and he was brave for himself, he was brave for others. He was brave in the big moments and in the little moments. And he suffered well. He went to a cross and for the joy set before him, he went to that cross and he died for me and you. 
but he resurrected, defeating the power of sin and death that was holding all of us captive, that was keeping us all terrified, that was making us all cowards. And he says, no, no, you got every reason now to be strong and courageous, why? Because the same power, the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave is in you. So what we're asking is that God would do a unifying work in our hearts, that God would make us people who are brave and strong and courageous, that God would give us through that same spirit that allowed Jesus to endure so much that he would lavish that same spirit on us so that we could suffer well for the name of Jesus. And the way we wanna close this out today is, is just to take a moment and to take communion. And here's what communion is. It's just a moment, a moment in time gathered together, shoulder to shoulder, where we remember all that Jesus has done. And in light of the gospel, the life that we have been called to live because of the communion we have with him. So as you open up the elements, I just wanna encourage you to take the piece of bread which represents Jesus' body. And I want you to think about this verse. First Peter, he says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Take the piece of bread which represents the body of Jesus which was broken for me and you. flip it over and take the juice which represents the blood of Jesus which was spilled for me and you which paid for the penalty that we owed which removed all of our sin and allowed us to come and to be citizens of heaven family with God sons and daughters and because of this blood we now have the same spirit the spiritual solidarity within all of us so at this time, now take the juice which represents the blood of Jesus. And I want you to, I want you to join us in prayer, if you would. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we thank you. We thank you for the lives that are possible because of the gospel. God, because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of your spirit, what a life. What a life that we can live. A life of unity. A life of bravery. A life that even in the worst, in the worst spaces, through horrendous suffering, God, even then joy doesn't elude us. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that we would be unified as one body. Under the name of Jesus, we pray that we would be strong and courageous. In the name of Jesus, allow us to go and to endure and to remember that even in the midst of it, you are birthing something good and beautiful. Jesus, you are enough. We love you. It's in your perfect name we pray, amen.